Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. If we're going to dress up and do uh, serves up and I've got to wear Hawaiian shirts, I might as well get some pink flamingos in, right? Let's talk about your spot. Everybody loves their spot, right? We love... uh, We love our spot where we sit. I would estimate that most of you sit within about four or five chairs of where you sit every single Sunday, and that's been true for however long you've been here. Because once we pick out a spot, that's kind of our spot. We like to park in the same spot. We like to go to the same spots. We like to travel the same routes. We like our spots. And uh, spots are comfortable. They're familiar. And we don't like it when someone else gets in our spot. I mean, if, if you're sitting in a spot and you get to church and somebody's in your spot, let me just remind you, that's not your spot, okay? I mean, you can look on the chair, unless your name is on the chair, that's not your chair. And so if somebody's sitting in your spot, let's do something really exciting this week. Let's sit in a different spot. It may be a totally different experience for you. You may see it in a whole nother way, okay? But we don't like people to sit in our spots. We don't like people to get in our parking spot. I mean, that's my spot, right? We sure don't like them to get our hunting spot or even more so our fishing spot. And when people get in our spot, it kind of makes us mad because we love our spots. Well, I've got some great news for you. God's got a spot for you. He's got a spot for you in ministry. We've been talking about serving for the last four weeks. This is the fifth week we're talking about serving. And this morning I want to talk about your spot. Now, here's the thing about serving. Um, There are really two kinds of serving, what I would call opportunistic serving and what I would call intentional serving. Sometimes the serving we do is opportunistic. And in opportunistic serving, the, the spot picks you. The need sort of determines the service. You aren't necessarily drawn to this kind of service. You didn't actually seek it out. I mean, you probably don't feel equipped or trained to do it, but the need of the moment dictates that kind of service. For example, we looked at uh, the Good Samaritan or the Certain Samaritan. And here's a guy that he's just going down the road, going on his business. He looks up, there's a guy that's badly injured, laying on the side of the road, bleeding and suffering. And the guy changes his agenda. He stops what he's doing. He sees the guy, feels compassion for him. He goes to him, he bandages his wounds. He puts him on his uh, beast. He carries him to uh, an inn. He says, take care of him and whatever else there is, I'll come back and pay it later. That's opportunistic serving. He didn't plan that out. It probably didn't fit his gift mix. There was probably no great uh, drive to perform that kind of service. It just showed up. Same thing with Jesus and washing the disciples' feet, right? I don't think that washing feet was necessarily Jesus' gift. It's just he was in a room full of dirty feet. And what do you do when you're in a room full of dirty feet? Well, you just meet the need. And those needs arise, and we meet those needs as they arise. Uh, We just seek the opportunity. I I did uh, this past week what I would call selfish opportunistic serving. I was in line at Max, and uh, the lady in front of me had a cartload of groceries, and when they checked it all out, I noticed that all of a sudden she pulls the cash out of her pocket and um, she's going to pay, but she's short. She doesn't have enough money. I don't know. I don't notice all this. I'm just 
you know, I'm like reading the gum wrappers or something. I don't know. I just know that she leaves. And here I am. All I'm buying is a bag of uh, powdered sugar. That's all I got. Just a bag. Gamey gave me $10, said, go get some powdered sugar. So I'm in line with my $10 bill and powdered sugar. And the lady, I look over and the lady's not there. And the girl behind the register is just holding a wad of bills. And I'm like, what in the world? And I hear her complain to the other guy. I hate it when this happens because they just walk off and everybody has to wait on them. Well, apparently she had gone out to her car to find some more money. And I'm standing there, standing there, standing there. And uh, then I, it suddenly dawns on me, maybe this is an opportunity. So I said to the little girl behind the register, how much is she short? She said, $3.11. I said, seriously? $3.11? Here, here's a 10. Pay that $3.11 and then charge me the $2 for the powdered sugar and we're out of here. So that was opportunistic service, but it was selfish opportunistic service because I got to leave. <laughs> Would I have done it had I not been wanting to leave? I hope so. But it's the kind of service that James talks to us about. And he says in James chapter 2, verse 14, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? I mean, suppose your brother or sister has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a great day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do you? Here's the principle. When we are confronted with a need that God has put us in the position to meet, that need or that opportunity becomes our spot. If you see the need, meet it. Don't try to figure out a way to get somebody else to meet it. That's your need. You meet it. That's opportunistic service. It doesn't matter whether it fits your gift mix. It doesn't matter whether it's your passion. It's just a need. You meet it. Sometimes serving is that way. Most of the time, serving is intentional. And in intentional serving, you pick the spot. Opportunistic service happens when we meet the needs as they arise. Intentional service happens when we meet the needs by design. And so in opportunistic service, the spot picks you. But in intentional service, you pick the spot. And I've got some good news. God's got a spot for you. You have a spot. That's the first principle I want us to get. This is not rocket science we're dealing with today. This isn't the depths of some great German theological thinking. I just want to get two ideas across to you. The first one is, you've got a spot. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 and let's park there. So take out your, your device, turn it on, pull out your Bible, whatever you need to do. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Three fairly familiar verses in the Bible. The first two deal with the gospel. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is the glorious example of God's sovereign grace and love over us. And it, it really tugs at the heart and the very core of who we are as people. In 2.8 it says, For by grace you are saved. And grace is God's unmerited favor. It's unearned. There was nothing we did that would cause Him to want to give it. It's simply driven by His love. For God so loved. Grace is Jesus' death on the cross. That God loved you enough to send His Son to the cross. And by grace you are saved. You say, saved from what? Well, we're all so damaged by our sin that we're broken beyond repair. 
In fact, the wages of sin is death, and there's nothing I can do to compensate for that. There's nothing I can do to make up for that. And because we all sin, we're all in that hopelessly damaged condition. And so grace becomes the fact that God loved us enough to send His Son Jesus to die on the cross to fully satisfy the wrath of God, to totally atone for sin, so that God has made the offer of salvation available for everyone. And if you're here today and you've never received that offer of salvation, that's for you right now. Man, I know guilt percolates up and I know guilt causes us to feel like, well, I need to do some good in order to compensate for the bad. It doesn't work that way. Read the rest of it. By grace, you have been saved. And that's that past tense continuing condition through faith. It comes when I come to the point and I say, God, and this is the gospel in a nutshell, God, I just give you all of me. I don't understand it. I don't know all the right words to say. I just give you full, myself fully over to you. It says, and that not of yourself, it is, and circle this word, the gift of God. And here's the key, verse 9, not as a result of works. In other words, I can't, I can't do enough good to make up for my sin. I can never compensate for it. I can never satisfy the wrath of God by trying to do some good to balance the scale of guilt that I have in my life. Not the result of works that no man should boast. So my works do not precede my salvation. I am saved by grace through faith. And that alone, the just shall live by faith. And so if you need to know that you know Jesus, if you want your sins forgiven, your past forgotten, your eternity secure, there it is, right there. It's a faith commitment to Christ. And why don't you do that today? That's your calling today. But believers, if that's your experience, if that's your condition, don't stop reading. Keep reading because verse 10 has something for you. And we always stop at verse 9. But what happens after that is also vital. Verse 10, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Notice the word works. It occurs in verse 9. It occurs in verse 10. In verse 9 it says, not the result of works. He's talking about earning salvation. But after salvation, what does it say? We are His workmanship created for good works. So our works follow our redemption. Our works follow the justification of Christ in our lives, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And so it comes down to this. What God does for us in salvation is always and at the same time what He expects of us in the life of righteousness. You are His workmanship. Poieo is the word. It's where we get the word poem. You are His poetry. I love it because that really highlights the uh, creativity of God, the artistry of God. A lot of people think of God as if He were some engineer because there is engineering in creation. But look at the first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. Who creates? Creative people, creative beings. And the Bible says that in Christ, we are His workmanship, which means you are superbly crafted superbly crafted. We often go to Psalm 139. We talk about these kinds of things. Verse 14, I will give thanks to you for I am 
fearfully and wonderfully made. And man, you talk to any doctor or anybody that deals with the complexity of the human body, and man, they'll tell you it's fearful and wonderful. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. We need to realize that God makes us as He wants us, and our beauty is intrinsic because we bear the image of God. We have these superficial ideas about what is beautiful or useful. God says you are fearfully and wonderfully created in His image. But listen, He's not talking about that in this case. That's not really what Ephesians 2.10 is about. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He's not talking about creation. He's talking about recreation. Notice it says created in Christ Jesus. Everyone who lives and breathes on the planet, every human being is fearfully and wonderfully made. But only Christians are superbly crafted for the work of the service of Christ. Gill said it this way, we are His workmanship not only as men, but also as Christians, not as creatures, but as new creations. You were superbly crafted for good works. See that? Created in Christ Jesus for good works. As a believer, God has uniquely designed you for the purpose and the work that He has prepared for you. Think about that. He knew who you were going to be through His sovereign foreknowledge before the foundation of the world. He knew exactly who you were going to be, and He knew exactly what He wanted you to do. And when you came to Christ, He equipped you with the very things that are necessary to fulfill the the purpose of service. It says, which God has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You know what that means? That means there's a ministry with your name on it. God's purpose for you is not that you get saved so that you can sit and wait on the, on the heaven bus and, and, you know, sit, soak, and sour and come and uh, come at, show up at, you know, 10.30 sharp and leave at 11.30 dull. That's not God's purpose for people. And a lot of people want to just come and sit and watch the show and, you know, Critique it on their way out. That's not what this is about. He's got a plan for you and He's got a purpose for you. You are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared beforehand that you may walk in them. So you've got a spot. Here's the second principle. I told you this isn't rocket science. Find your spot. Find your spot. The key to joy in life is to find the spot that God created for you to take. Look, I can tell you right now, I don't care how much money you make. I don't care how famous you get. Everybody wants to be Instagram famous. It doesn't, none of that's going to fulfill you. Everybody's trying to get filled full. They want to get all this junk and pack it into the... God wants to fulfill you. And the way you find fulfillment is to discover where your spot is. Because He's got a spot for you. You say, okay, well, how do we find our spot? Well, this morning... We have all the ministries of the church on display. You know what's been cool about this serves up thing? Is Wendy has brought in all of these ministries that this church is engaged in. It's, not, it's kind of overwhelming, isn't it? It's like, where do I serve? Well, it's almost like there's too much. Local missions, international missions, needs, 
church stuff is out today of all the things. 430 people are required just to get us through a week. I mean, it's unbelievable the, the, the numbers of people that, that have to be involved in, in serving. Um, and so there are countless opportunities for you to find a way to serve. Your spot is there somewhere. You say, well, how do I know which one? Let's talk about six questions real quickly that will help, okay? Here's the first question. What opportunities do you have? You know, I've talked to people, I was like, you know, uh, well, you know, here's what I'd like to serve. I'd, I'd like to serve God as being the president of a major international corporation. I think if I could just get there, I could really serve God. You know, I had a cousin one time that went into a grocery store and applied for the manager's position. Uh, he was applying to the manager, you know, it was a little slow. You know, I want to be the first Christian astronaut on Mars. Okay, well, there's probably some things you're going to have to do to prepare for that. And uh, it may take a while. In the meantime, what do you figure you want to do? You know, here's, here's some great advice a guy gave me one time. He said, just start where you are. Start where you are. That's the best advice I was ever given. You want to serve. Where do I serve? Well, start where you are. Where are your opportunities? Look at this, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. See, if you insist on only serving Christ in one specific way, you're going to limit what He wants to do with your life. I love what Henry Blackaby used to say in Experiencing God. He said, God is at work all around us, and we have to find where God's at work, and then we join Him in that. God is at work all around you. There are countless opportunities for you to serve, and you have to just join Him in that. Second question is, and look, it says, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Peripateo, it means to walk around. So that we would walk in them. It's organic and natural. It's not like I have to wait until some event happens in my life. It's like, what opportunities do I have? And let me say this. If you don't have the opportunity, that's probably not your spot. Second question, what gives you joy? We're best at what we love. Do you, know, you know what every great athlete has in common? I don't care if it's an Olympian or a football or a baseball, I don't care. You know what they all have in common? There's something about that game that they love. I mean, and they love it more than you love it. Trust me, they love it more than anything. You know what all corporate presidents have in common? There's something about that thing that they love. Or they get something out of it that they love. Because here's the principle. If you don't love it, you won't stay at it. And you can't be great at anything if you don't stay at it. And we're watching the Olympics, you know, kind of hit and miss. Kind of hard to watch the Olympics, right? And so I'm watching men's gymnastics. And these guys are like flying around on that, on that one bar and they can do a flip and land with one hand and spin around with one hand. And I'm watching that and I'm going... Man, I'd like to be able to do that. Wouldn't that be cool if I could just jump up on those bars? First thing is, how do you get to the bar? Um, you got to kind of jump, and then you got to be strong enough to pull yourself up. But these guys, don't, they just go, whoop, and they're up, and they're flipping and flying. I'm like, man, I'd love to do that. And I think I heard the Holy Spirit said, no, you wouldn't. Because <laughs> that guy fell flat on his face like a hundred times before... That worked out for him, and, and he spent hours and hours and hours in the gym. And you ain't got that in you, die. That's what the Spirit said to me. 
Everybody's like, man, I want to be a corporate president. No, you don't. It's not like somebody's just going to offer you that job. It's like, uh, man, you know, we realize you don't have any real skill or any background or any real training, but look, we're looking for the president of this company, and we were just wondering if you'd be interested. Man, to get to that level, you make sacrifices, and you're doing stuff nobody else wants to do. One of my sons was a college athlete. He threw the shot put in college in track. And, and it was the craziest thing. When he was about 12 or 13 years old, he just got eat up with shot put. It was like it became life. He, he's a little 13-year-old kid watching YouTube videos trying to teach himself moves in shot put so he could get better. And he, it's pouring down rain outside. He's out on the driveway, and he's got little sticks stuck in the yard so that he can learn how he can throw it better. And he, he would go out and throw for a while and go in and watch more YouTube videos, go out and throw for a while. And then he got some better training and some better coaching and all of that. And he just did it, did it, did it, did it. And, and as a result, he got college paid for. Thank God. I love, I love, I love track too. <laughs> My brother Ben was a professional tennis player. Same thing, when he was about 12 years old, he got eat up with tennis, and that's all he wanted to do. And he played tennis, played tennis, and I thought, man, I'd really like to win all those trophies he won. He, he had trophies like everywhere. I have one ping pong trophy from the Tri-College Sports Day at Grayson Junior College. That's the only thing I got. <laughs> Wouldn't it be cool to have a thing full of trophies? And, and I just realized... No, it wouldn't, because all the time he was out on that hot tennis court, I was going to the pool, because I didn't want to do it. You're only going to do it if you love it. It has to find joy in it somewhere. And dads, that's why you can't make your kid into a great athlete. They have to love it. Notice all the time Paul talks about joy. I mean, it was a hallmark of his ministry. He just loved seeing people come to Jesus. He loved people growing in Jesus. Philippians 2.17 He said, but even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, he's in prison at the time he writes this. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. Upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, he says, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And not only did he have that joy in ministry, he wanted them to have it. Look at 2 Corinthians 1.24 Not that we lord it over your faith, but are workers with you for your joy, for in your faith you are standing firm. Nehemiah said the joy of the Lord is our strength. I say that because some people think I don't want to serve because if I open myself up to service, God's going to make me do something I hate. Why would God go to all the trouble to prepare you, equip you, and fill you, and then force you to do something you hate? Because you're going to be bad at it, and you're not going to want to do it. People are like, man, I don't want to surrender to the Lord because I might get sent to foreign missions. Well, you know who goes to foreign missions? People who love foreign missions. That's who goes. It's people who are filled with that joy. And, and if you hate it, you won't do it. So do what you love. Someone said, find what makes you come alive and then spend your life doing that. Third question, what is your spiritual gift? Man, I wish I had time to get to this. Essentially... You know, we're going to come back around to this in Romans if, if uh, Jesus hadn't come back. And like I said last week, if he does come back, Warren will preach that sermon. But um, in the meantime, um, let me just dance across it real quickly, this idea of spiritual gifts, because God equips all of us with spiritual gifts. It's a part of that workmanship. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 describes the different kinds of gifts. He said, now there are different gifts. Get that charisma. There are different gifts, but the same Spirit. 
There are different ministries, okay? That's different service opportunities, but the same Lord. And there are different results, okay? But manifestations, but the same God who produces them all. So you have three different words that are roughly translated into spiritual gifts, and and they serve in different ways. Uh, You've got gifts, ministries, and results. Here's another way of saying it. You've got motivational gifts, you have ministry gifts, and you have manifestation gifts. And so it works like this. The ministry gifts are those areas within the church where you can serve. They're opportunities for service. The manifestation gifts are the results that the Holy Spirit produces through your service, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, you know, those kinds of things, faith and other things like that. But the motivational gifts, those are those driving gifts that God puts into each person when they begin to engage in the service of Christ. And Romans 12 talks about those in verses 6 through 8. It says, since we have gifts, charisma, that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise these them accordingly. If prophecy, there's the first one, according to the proportion of his faith. If service in his serving, that's the second. He who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So you see these seven motivational gifts, prophecy, serving, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, and showing mercy. And each, each gift comes with a strength and each gift comes with a limitation and God puts them within the body so that we'll need each other. The prophet, for example, we talked about this a bit last time, they tend to be strong, they see everything in black and white and they're great at helping people come to a decision in Christ. Servants are consumed with physical needs and some, one of the problems with servants is sometimes they don't look at spiritual needs. Teachers are all about accuracy and sometimes teachers get so balled up in accuracy they don't get around to calling people to change. But So the prophet drives the teacher crazy and the teacher drives the prophet crazy because the prophet's over here just, you know, he's got the Word of God and he's loosely using it and the, the teacher's like, that's not what that means. And the prophet's like, well, that's what it means right now. You know, and so here we go. And you got exhorters who are looking for long-term change. You got givers that are great with money and love to sponsor things from behind the scenes. You got leaders who see the big picture and can work different groups of people together in different ways. And then you've got the mercy shores who are concerned about how people feel and all of that. Um, and here's the thing. Everyone has a a gift that is motivating and driving them. And whenever you engage in ministry, those gifts begin to come alive and you begin to realize who you are and how you fit within the body. And so everybody needs to discover his or her spiritual gift. So the question is, what is your gift? Because if if you have the gift of prophecy and you're given the role of hospitality, you're going to deal with hospitality in a different way than the exhorter or the teacher might. Third question is, what training do you have? And you see this all through the Bible. Nehemiah was the cupbearer of the king. He was an executive in, in the Persian king's empire. He helped to manage the household and, and deal out. The, and so when God wanted to rebuild the wall around uh, Jerusalem, who did he call? Nehemiah, because he had that background experience and training, right? Uh, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's home. I mean, I can't think of anything more intimidating than walking into the presence of Pharaoh, you know, and the pomp and circumstance and power of all of that. Well, Moses had grown up in that. He had, you know, he'd been in the behind the curtain watching things go on. He's not intimidated by Pharaoh. Pharaoh was his stepbrother. Um, And so God used Moses in his training. That's the way it works here. We have people who are 
are super well-trained at like human resources and they help us with personnel. We have people who are brilliant financial people and they help us with finances. That's not my thing. You know, I'm, 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 I'm always like, hey, hey, Warren, let's build a rocket ship to the moon. And Warren's like, preacher, we don't have the money for that. And I'm like, find it. Come on, man, we got to do something. You know, and that's just how it works. So what training do you bring to it? I saw Ben Jones kind of smile. <laughs> uh. I drive the finance people crazy. I give them all gas. I say I'm not a, I've never had an ulcer, but I'm a carrier. <laughs> and then what personality did God give you? We complement each other and we need to understand who we are. Some people have great nurturing skills. Some people can walk into a room and light up the whole room. Some people are really good at details and organizing. And so, you know, I, one of the best books I ever read in seminary was Understanding How Others Misunderstand You. And it was understanding what our personalities are and how they're complementary to other people. And, and so I let you be you and you let me be me. And then this last thing, what experiences has God given you? See, here's the thing. I'm convinced that all of us have a life message. And I'm convinced that God has been working on your life message your whole life. So everything that's gone on in your life becomes who you are. I mean, you don't live in the past, but the past lives in you. And so all of these experiences that you've had, good or bad, the wins you've had, the losses you've had, the griefs, the sorrows, the joys, all of those become the composite you. And so when you deal in ministry, you bring that composite of who you are, that life message into it. And those experiences become vital to your opportunity to serve. Some of you can serve people in ways the rest of us can't. Every one of you is better than me in some way. And I've said this before, nobody can heal a hurt like someone who bears the same scar. Some of you have chronic pain and you understand chronic pain in ways that nobody else does. So when somebody gets chronic pain, you're the person they need to talk to. Ephesians 2, 10. For we are His workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so that we may do them. God has a spot for you. That's good news because spots are great. We love our spots. Well, God's got a spot for you. And here's the important question. Have you found your spot? Have you found your spot? Would you just pray with me right now? And here's the prayer we ask the Father. Show me my spot. Father, I need to know my spot. I guess I need to know who I am to know where my spot is. But Father, open that up to me and, and reveal it. As I ask these six basic questions of myself, show me my spot. Father, we thank You that you, we are your, your poetry. We're the, the beautiful artistry that comes after the recreation. It comes after the born again. We don't work in order to achieve that. We work because it's been given. So Father, show us our spot. I pray for those that are really hungry and longing for more in their life.
that they would realize at an early age that fulfillment comes in knowing your spot. And Father, I pray for those who need the front end of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. They need to know that they know you and that, they, that their sins are taken care of and that they've appropriated the grace of Christ to their life by faith. And so in this moment, their prayer, God, if they would, their prayer just needs to be, Father, I just give myself to you. All that I understand about me, I give to all that I understand about you. I don't even know the words, but God, I just give myself to you. If you don't know Jesus, would you just say that right now? Jesus, I just give myself to you. Thank you for your grace. I trust you by faith. Father, we glorify in your purpose. We thank you for your plan. And we thank you for our spots. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.